Folks, we'd like to thank our newest sponsor for the Big Honker Podcast, that's C-Light LEDs. Yes, folks, it's a product that is built by hand for hunters by hunters. When it comes to your lighting needs, come check out the new standard. They specialize in lights for bow fishing, duck hunting, and off-road lighting. Follow them on Instagram or Facebook or check out their website at sealightleds.com. That's S-E-E-L-I-T-E-L-E-D-S.com. Folks, if you're looking for lights for your bow fishing boat, your duck hunting boat, you want some lights for your off-road or your trailers. As a hunting outfitter, we use the lights like this on the trailer. This is the lights to have at sealightleds and look them up on their website. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram. I'd like to thank our Big Honker podcast sponsor, Natural Gear. Natural Gear will be at the Fall Fest in Stuttgart, Arkansas this weekend. That is this weekend, the 10th, 11th, on a Saturday and a Friday and a Saturday. Stop by and see them for special deals on the new cutdown line and see the new fields pattern and enter into a giveaway. That's right, folks. Go to Max Prairie Wings. They're going to have a huge sale. They're going to have everything, all their waterfowl stuff on sale. And go see the guys at Natural Gear and ladies. Tell them the people from the Big Honker podcast sent you. They're going to have giveaways. And they will be at Stuttgart, Arkansas this weekend on Friday and Saturday for the Max Prairie Wings Fall Fest. Go by and tell John that I sent you down there. That trains are rolling down the track, folks. You need to check out divebombindustries.com. That's right. Sponsor for the Big Honker Podcast, Dive Bomb Silhouettes. They will have a new promo code for the Big Honker Podcast listeners. It is the Trump train. Choo-choo. There you go. Get on that train, baby. But that is Big Honker Podcast sponsor, Dive Bomb Industries. Get on that train. That's Trump Train. T-R-U-M-P-T-R-A-I-N is the coupon code. No spaces. And get on the train. Woo-hoo! also like to thank Big Honker Podcast sponsor, Big Honker Lodge and Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. At Stanfield Hunting Outfitters in Knoxie, Texas, we're going to have an October special. That is a weekday hunt. It's an afternoon dove hunt. Spend the night. Wake up the next morning, breakfast, and a five-bird pheasant hunt for $250 per person, and that's five-bird pheasant hunt, an afternoon dove hunt, a morning pheasant hunt, breakfast and lodging for $250 per person. You have to have five guns. It's a five-gun minimum. So it was holler at us if you'd be interested in that, and that's an afternoon dove, morning pheasant hunt, lodging and breakfast for $250 per person, five-gun minimum, and you can look us up at Stanfield Hunting Outfitters or StanfieldHunting.com. That's Stanfield Hunting Outfitters in Knox City, Texas, and I sure the hell get tongue-tied talking about all this stuff. Thank you. I'd like to thank our sponsor, 737 Duck Calls. Duck Calls made out of Oklahoma for people all over the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to buy a duck call, single rig or double rig, you need to look up 737DuckCalls.com. The boys know how to slay the mallards. Look them up on Instagram. Look them up on Facebook. If you just want to see some pictures of some guys and some videos of some guys getting after it, check out their website. Them boys can shoot some ducks, and they kill a lot of green, and everybody wants the green. Anyways, that's 737DuckCalls.com. And folks, I'd like to thank Big Honker Podcast sponsor, William and Chris Vineyards and WilliamChrisWines.com. They are your place to shop for any wine you would like to have. They have the wine for that special occasion, the anniversary, the birthday party, Christmas time, Thanksgiving. We're getting to that time, folks. It's fall. Our fall's coming close. It's hunting season. It's football season. And it's time for big dinners. And with big dinners, you need a fancy wine like WilliamChrisWines.com. If you'll go to WilliamChrisWines.com and you'll, when you go to checkout, go to coupon code and put HONKER, H-O-N-K-E-R, all caps, and all on the shipping, it'll cost you $1 to get that case of wine shipped to you. Just a dollar to ship a case of wine. That's at WilliamChrisWines.com. And tell them the fat guy from Knox City sent you.
Here we go. Three, two, one. Boom. And welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I am Andy Shaver. And we have a waterfowl legend on. A family that is well known in Louisiana and all over the United States and Canada for making great waterfowl calls. They've been in business for 37 years. On the line with me is Rod Haydale. Rod, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you, Jeff? Doing wonderful. So... You have been in the business for 37 years. I'm assuming you grew up in the waterfowl business, correct? Well, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Uh, I was a senior in high school when we started the company. So, uh, you know, I, I went off to college and, and got my degree in marketing and, and what have you. And so, you know, it was a part-time business or, or job kind of deal in the summertime originally when we first started. I met Eli in Memphis, Tennessee, at the whatever the Ducks Unlimited Hunting Show was, and I believe in 1995 or 96, he had a booth next to me, and I, I visited with him, and I really enjoyed your dad a lot. So uh, your dad, I guess, grew up waterfowl hunting. Now, now he was a saxophone player, correct? Yes, he uh, he was a saxophone player. The only the only uh, game that he hunted was ducks, except for, you know, maybe quail and stuff like that. But, yeah, dad, dad was not a, a deer hunter. Um, or anything like that. Matter of fact, back in those days, I mean, a deer was hard to come by. We didn't have any deer here in Louisiana, and uh, it was a little bit later on, about the time he was married and whatnot. Um, some buddies got him to to go deer hunting one time, and and he was in the shooting archery um, and went did a lot of field archery back then. Um, and uh, even though he didn't really bow hunt, he he did take his his bow out there and and he managed the only deer he ever killed in his life was a a spike and uh he did kill it with a bow so he he was pretty proud of it (laughs) so how did he dive into the duck hunting business the call business he really uh he like i said he, he had grew up duck hunting um his father did not really hunt they hunted rabbits together but um he didn't. He didn't have a mentor or anything. He just fell in love with with duck hunting as a kid on his own, and and hunted some public places down around the the New Orleans area where he was from, and uh, he 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 continued that once once he moved up here in the Air Force. He he got into the Air Force up here in Bossier, and uh, him and my mom moved up here. And he continued hunting, you know, a little bit on the the Red River, which which wasn't the best of places. But you know, every, every now and then we did get get a few ducks, and so uh, uh, he ended up getting in some duck calling contest around 1974, and that sparked his interest and and in trying to come up with his own duck calling in 1981. Um, he 
did make a mold of some some uh, a design that he had, and uh, and it, as you say, I mean, he he just had to to, to do something. It just grew and grew and grew as far as that goes. Um, from there on, um, we had actually uh, Dad being a salesman, he had a route with uh, W.W. Granger that he had run down around the Toledo Bend area, uh, around East Texas and, and, and part of uh, Louisiana also. And, and back in those days, I mean, you didn't have the Cabela's or the Academy stores you know, and stuff like that. You went to, if you were in a small town, you went to your local hardware store to purchase your sporting goods back then. And so he made up a little sticker that he put on a fishbowl and said, that said, blows when wet. <laughs> and he had a little rubber yellow ducky that he would put in the fishbowl with water and, a, and tie a piece of string, loop a piece of string around his call and around the duck's neck so it sit there and, and, and was suspended underwater. And so he placed that on, on in the hardware store, and, and that was his selling selling tool. And he'd make his route every week, come by and either pick up the money that the store owed him or he'd pick up his calls and, and he'd take them somewhere else. And so that was that was the way we started. And uh, i got to say, it was it was successful. <laughs> the only thing was, was going into the Walmart when uh, when he'd, he'd have to get new uh, fish bowls and, and, and rubber duckies. And, and the people, the cashiers would look at us like we were crazy back then. And, and uh, i never forget one day he... I don't know. He must have had about twenty of them, and uh, he was replenishing his stock. And, and the cashier just kind of gave him a funny look, and he said, "You know, these kids. You do for one, you got to do for all." <laughs> 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 and so she shook her head and just laughed. So, Rod, how how long uh, how long did your dad tool around on his first duck call before he kind of, for lack of a better word, perfected it and, and took it out to uh, the general public? You know, um, we had a little, our, our first little call that we had in 81 was a, uh, a single read call that was similar to like a Fox. It, right. it was a Kane style call. And um, we kept that around for years and years and years. But um, actually, the one that he was really working on was that DR-85. And it probably, it probably took us... Jeff, I'm guessing probably around uh, a year to perfect that. Really, uh, we would send that the, the we'd get parts and off the original mold, and something would be wrong with it. So you know, we'd send that that batch of parts and what needed to be done to the mold up to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I forget the fellow who, who worked on that mold, but um, he'd end up doing a little work on the mold, running up, running some parts off of it, and then shipping it by Greyhound bus in the middle of the night to us. And uh, I'd go down the next morning or in the middle of the night, whenever it was, uh, when it arrived, and, and pick up some, some fresh new parts. And Dad work, would work on it, you know, for however, how long it took to... to to figure out what needed to be done to it, and then we'd ship them back up there again. And so that that uh, that was the method we had to use back then 
to to get stuff done and uh it just took a while you know but it it, it got to a point where it was perfected and and I mean, everybody's heard of the DR-85, and, and you know, pretty much, and, and, and we hadn't changed it to this day. I mean, it's still, we're still running that same mold. Yeah. Did everything, uh, did did all of y'all's original calls, did they start out in wood, I'm assuming? When did, did when did y'all make the switch to uh, plastic and acrylic and all in, in that? Well, we've, we've always uh, had a, acrylic, or excuse me, molded uh, parts. Right. Um at first it was it was molds that we made ourselves out of some wooden parts that we would shape and get just how we wanted them and, and dad had a little mold that he made that we actually uh, uh when we started out it had about six cavities and matter of fact on the original uh call that single rate he he had on the back of the part itself it was etched with the number one, number two, number three, all the way up to six. And uh, number three was always his favorite part. And um, so we utilized, <laughs> he'd save number three for him. <laughs> <laughs> but we would actually, uh, it, it was like two slices of bread that you, you, you put together, and then there was a hole on each side. And so we'd put a, a nut and a wing bolt through each side, to lock them down and then pour fiberglass resin into the cavities to fill them up and of course we'd have to saw one in on a, on a uh, uh, with a belt belt saw deal and um, anyhow that's how that's how we made the, the parts way back when and you know sometimes these parts not being chemist you know sometimes these parts would dry in two hours sometimes it'd take two days you just never did know. Right. And uh, so then you'd have to bust the mold apart, take out your parts, and then I'd have to go in and, and, and buff everything out and then coat it, coat it with wax so they, they wouldn't stick on the next run, you know. Huh. It was it was quite a task to, to make just one one duck call back then. Our, our, our barrels were actually made out of six-foot-length pieces of tubing. Right. And then we would have to saw real thin slices for the lanyard grooves. And I can't tell you how many times I ripped open my oh, thumb I bet. On, on the saw doing that. So oh. anyhow, it was it was an ordeal. <laughs> look where look at where you're at today, though. If you if you'd ever thought that you'd be where you're at today, way ba- way back when. I know it. My grandmother thought we dad was crazy when he. Told her he was quitting his job and he was going to make duck calls for a living. <laughs> I bet she did. Uh, did your dad ever judge at the uh, World Duck Duck Calling Competition? You know, he judged in a lot of contests, but I do not believe he ever judged up there. Yeah. Yeah, you, you'd figure a guy that changes the game would, would get an invite to that. Uh, right. <laughs> how did how did he do? Uh, you said he was a, a bit of a contest caller back in the in the 70s how did he ever have any major wins you know he blew um he, he won several state and regional uh contests and whatnot and and there was a big a big big contest over in california um i forget what um what exactly uh, the, the contest was called but it was a uh, 
there was a he won the duck calling contest, and then they had a goose calling contest. Well, what he did to win the goose calling contest, they didn't they didn't state what species. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget because he used to tell the story. It was almost like he he felt like he was cheating, but he didn't he didn't know how to blow a Canada call or a short reef style call real well. So he took our regular resident chamber honker call back then that you just blew and puffed air into. He took that call and blew it a little bit, and then he blew a snow goose call, and then he hit him with a speckle belly. And he, he ended up winning winning that contest, I solely believe, because of his speckle belly talent. Wow. You know, um, but uh, anyhow, I'll, I'll never forget that. But as far as major wins, I think he blew, uh, I want to say he, 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 he blew like seventh or something like that in Worlds one year is, is the highest he ever got to. That's That's up there, though. I mean, that's, yeah, that's an accomplishment. You, you bet, and and he only he only blew in it one year. So, um, so you said you yeah. got a you said you got a degree in marketing. Did you kind of always figure that you would would come and do this, or did you have other other dreams in mind whenever you got it got that degree? No, really. When I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a band nerd, played saxophone as well, and so you know, I went I went under a music scholarship. Um, to college, but I knew music wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I, I actually went in for uh, a degree, and back then they called it industrial management, and, uh, you know, where you'd manage a plant or something like that. And uh, after the, the, the call business got cranked up and, and looked like it was going to do real well, I switched my major over to marketing and, uh, you know, to where I could help out as far as the, the company goes uh, that way. Because Dad really wanted me to stay with, with the company and, and, and help him. So now i got to ask you, with social media being kind of the, the, way, uh, the way things are right now and definitely the way of the future, do any of those rules that you learned uh, in college, do they still apply today? You know, um, yes and no. I mean, it's 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 my my way of thinking is that college, you know, back then was so much different from what it might be today. Um, we, we didn't even discuss social media back then. Sure. You know, we didn't we didn't have uh, CDs back then. I mean, we're you know, everything ran on on, on eight track if you can remember those <laughs> but uh um you know the same principles uh basic principles uh are there you know and and there for a reason and and basically marketing is is advertising or pushing product to to masses of people you know and and obviously social media is a, is, is a big part of that in, in today's times but i always felt like college whatever degree you got in unless you were very very technical was a, the marketing part of it was a to get you in a developing a, a certain way of thinking you right. know what i mean yeah and and so um 
as far as that goes, as far as your question, it is a yes and no kind of deal as far as social media goes. Now, yeah. You know? Well, I guess I can kind of, you know, because basically the, the rules of marketing have, have not changed per se, but the the uh, the vehicle on which we market on has, which... Exactly. You know, right. so whereas you would put out an ad in Wildfowl, you just kind of, you can, you know, put it, put, put that somewhere else if you wanted to, or they'll keep running it, you know? Right. Perfect. So uh, you do a lot of you do a lot of duck and goose hunting yourself, or do you get out of the office that much? No, I re- I really do do quite a bit. I mean, I, I don't get out and hunt every day. I mean, I obviously have duties to to handle here at the shop, and uh, but yeah, I, I do get out a lot. What is your bird of choice? Are you a goose hunter or a duck hunter? If I had to pick, uh, gosh, I, I guess I'd have to go with duck hunting. You a timber hunter? Um, I do like hunting the timber, um, but probably my favorite is hunting the marsh. We've we've got a, a camp that we've been hunting for down there in South Louisiana for for over thirty years, and uh, there's just something special about the marsh that the stench of the mud as you're going <laughs> out. You know, it stinks. But you know, it's, there's just something about it. You know, and and all the different other wildlife that there just the beauty of of everything that it holds you know is is appealing to me and you never know really what you're gonna what you're gonna shoot i mean there's all kind of species that that we shoot down there and uh that's 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 my love so do you get to travel much and hunt or you kind you try to stay uh mainly in uh, louisiana you know, um, I, I do travel a little bit and hunt other other places. I used I used to do it more so when I was uh, doing a lot of filming back in the day when when uh, people had different waterfowl shows. Now, um, the, the the show TV show business is a little bit different from what it was years ago, and, and you have dedicated uh, shows that are on thirteen weeks of the a season. You know. Uh, back then, there was a lot of variety shows, so um, I was involved with a lot of different shows that would call me up and say, hey, look, won't you get us a hunt lined up somewhere, and we'll go film a duck hunt show. But, you know, 90% of what they did was deer hunting, you know. Yeah. So back in the day, I traveled quite a bit, but I still get out. Last year, I went out to, to Washington State, and uh, we got on some good smuckle belly hunting out there, and then uh, I got a good buddy that I try to get up to every year in, in upstate New York, Bill Safe up there, and, and uh, do a little bit of Canada goose hunting during their early season. And so I get around a little bit. What uh, The limit in Washington for the speckleberries is ridiculous, isn't it? isn't it? Isn't it something like eight or something? I think it was ten last 10. year. Ten, yeah. That's right. Did you did you now, just kill the piss we out never of did limit. We never did limit out, but we, we shot a good bit. Yeah. Are the big flocks of birds there is there a lot of a lot i guess there's just they're just covered up with specks they you know it's it's like anywhere i mean uh, some of the places we went had had tons of birds um um i'm sorry i said washington didn't i, I meant california i'm sorry um but yeah um they had plenty of birds. I mean, we, we were hunting a little bit, uh, probably about an hour, hour and a half north of uh, Sacramento. And so oh, okay. up, in, up in that area. And, uh, but yeah, it was it was nice. They know how to call them. There ain't a better, snow, a better speckle belly caller in the world than a coon ass. 
So did you teach right. you, did you teach them boys how to blow a call? <laughs> Some of them boys actually blew uh, blew a call pretty well, and so uh, you know there was there was no. As a matter of fact, one of them uh, went up there was from Louisiana, and, and John Clark. No, no. It, uh, I forget this guy's name. He was he was helping guide uh, for this this outfit, and uh, but he was pretty good. That's something that I just I don't know if I don't have enough pressure or what's going on, but I just Speckabelly calls eat my lunch. <laughs> and you'd figure with as many of them as we've got out here, we're hoping that this year our limit goes up to three Speckabellies. We've been stuck at two. Luckily, we got. When, when did we get to? We just went to two like three years ago. But uh, it, we've been at one forever. We finally went up to two, and now they're teasing us with a third spec. So if that happens, uh, you know, I will be jumping for joy because we, we are overrun with them. That'd be great. So I want to – Now, what about cranes? Do y'all get cranes up there? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're far enough west that we get them. Okay. Now, let, let me ask you this. You you hunt in southern Louisiana. You got a camp back there. Are y'all shooting greenheads back like you used to in the eighties? No, not at all. Not at all. Mostly gadwalls. Mostly gadwalls. The gadwalls. We probably shoot. Oh, they're probably fifty fifty five percent of our total bag limit. Missouri has really put a block on those birds coming down that flyway. They really have. Do you they think? Really it, do you think it's just the ice eater? The ice eaters, or do you think it's food staying open? What do you think it is? You know, I think it's it's a lot of it, all of it combined. I mean, a mallard duck, you know, even though temperature doesn't move a mallard duck, it's feeding open water, right? You know, yep. Because you know, when 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 Arkansas freezes up, I mean, we get a ton of uh, of mallards, mm-hmm. back, you know, down down our way, and. Um, Probably the last year it did that was around 2000 when it, when there was a really hard hard freeze and locked up everything, and so you know the 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 mallards are here. We're just not getting them down in Louisiana like we used to. Right. Um, you know, it used to be um, back in the 80s and 90s. Probably 25 percent of our bag limit was was uh, mallards, mm-hmm. and it's just not the case anymore. I mean, I I I literally two years. Three years ago, three years ago, I did not shoot a mallard duck in, in Louisiana. Holy period. cow! Yeah, wow. You know, um, and I would I would go a little bit further to say that um, if their food is not covered up, they're not coming. I um, I got made fun of this last year. Full disclosure, uh, we we just got a major major front, but there was no snow up north of here. But everything was kind of locking up. And I told everybody at the, at the dinner table, anybody that would listen, we're not going to see a major push because the food isn't covered up. They're going to figure out a way to keep that, that water open. But right. They've got food, they got food, and it's not covered up. So they're going to stay where they're at. And everybody made fun of me. And we saw a little trickle of birds, and everybody, you know, we're out scouting, and we've got more birds, and everybody's like, oh, see, I told you so. You're, you're just a, you're crazy. And then sure enough, the big push didn't come. So I think, you know, more than, more important than, than the cold weather is covering up that food because they'll figure out how to keep that water open if they have to. Right. And well, you know, duck, ducks aren't dumb. I mean, the problem we faced in, in, in our area in, in South Louisiana, um, hunting that marsh, is we're not really wanting a cold front. Right. 
because because when when we got it, when we get a north wind, all them birds go out to the Gulf of Mexico and sit out there, you know, five to ten miles out, and they ain't got nothing to worry about. They'll you know, go that just far. Rest. So we we actually want a south wind blowing hard, you know, that's going to keep them off of the Gulf because it's so so rough. You know, the birds are there. They're just. <laughs> you know, they're avoiding getting shot at. So those birds will go sit out in the Gulf? I'm sorry? Those birds will actually go sit out in in the Gulf. Oh yeah. How oh, far yeah. how far out do you said five miles? They'll they'll go five, ten miles. Uh, wow. You know, I mean we get reports all the time from different boats and just seeing rafts and rafts of birds out there. That's cra- and That's puddle- and these are puddle ducks, right? Yes. That's crazy. But you know we had we had a guy on here that was Jeff Coates that hunts on the East Coast and he kills a lot of birds and he hunts three four miles three, offshore. Four miles offshore. And he's sea duck hunting, but he said they kill, they've killed wood ducks and he said those birds travel offshore anyways, coming from it's a straight line from Long Island to Carolina and they go offshore. Right. And he said they kill a lot of birds offshore and you never think about that. Oh yeah. Well, I got I got a buddy of mine that, like I said, I mentioned him earlier, Bill Safe. He hunts uh, up on Lake Ontario. Right. And they hunt their late season and it's cold as heck up there. I mean, uh-huh. you know, but the, in January when they're hunting their, their late season, out of the boats, you know, a lot of stuff is iced up. And a lot of times the, the launch itself is, is iced up. And uh, it, it takes a job for them to get the boats in. And when they do that, they'll go out in the in the middle of the dang lake and set up, and they're killing mallards, pintail. I mean, everything. Hmm. That late I mean, in the year, ducks, not just not just yeah, you know, on that big body of water. Yeah. Wow. And he ha- he holds a lot of ducks up in that area. When you think everything would be so frozen up that yeah. a duck would have to move down. Yep. I mean, he's he's holding tons of birds up there. That's amazing. I mean, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they the, the birds haven't made it this long by being stupid. Right. Um. So what hunting as long as you have, I'm sure you've killed some interesting birds. What What's the craziest maybe hybrid mix or you know what what's something unusual that has come into your spread that you've that you've taken down? The craziest thing thing that we killed one year. I was I was helping. A friend of mine with some clients up in uh, Alberta years ago, and, and helping him because he didn't know how to how to call. And one of his clients happened to be a game warden. I think he was from Colorado. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he really wanted to kill a snow goose. And so we we were actually Canada hunting, and uh, and had a, a weird looking bird that was in amongst a, a group of Canada geese, and um, to me, it looked like a snow goose. It had it was it was mainly white, or looked white to me, mm-hmm. um, and had black wingtips. And so, quickly, I called him on, on the shot because he wanted to get one mounted. Right. And uh, anyhow, he shot the thing <laughs> when we retrieved it. It had kind of a grayish looking head with some black bars going up almost like a pintail would but it was two of them it had a yellow beak and yellow feet 
<laughs> and 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 it has had a lot of a lot of white, but like I said, the, the head got gray, and it was come to find out it was a called a bar headed goose. Oh. It actually flies over the Himalaya mountains. Wow. That's so a, I don't know if it was somebody's pet, or if it was, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't banded or anything. I mean, as as a lot of you know pet geese are right. or whatnot, and so I don't know if it just came from the other side of the world or what happened on that deal. It, it was a weird, strange deal. He had a heck of a time getting it out of the country though, because <laughs> they wanted they wanted to claim that he shot a legal goose. What? But he 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 challenged them at the airport and whatnot and uh being a game warden himself he was a i don't know he somehow he was able to get it out and, and got it mounted so so they were saying that it was an illegal goose correct wonder wonder what under what grounds maybe because there's not a season on them i guess so but he did i'm i'm, I'm hoping that this thing is on his wall somewhere I, I hope it is too i think it is i'm pretty sure it is because i want to say he sent me a picture years ago See, I'm such a pushover. But this has been like twenty. This is this was twenty years ago or so, or better. You know, I've had a ter. I, the couple of times that I've been to Canada hunting, I've had a terrible experience. So I, I am so afraid and so keyed up whenever I go through customs that 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 goose would have got lost in in customs if it would have been me. <laughs> I'm telling you, I just I melt under the pressure when they're whenever whenever uh, the Canadian border border patrol starts tightening the screws on me. I I fold <laughs> i never forget we we the, the very first i don't i don't usually have any problem going up there I, and i've been a lot a lot of times but the very first time we went up there me and dad dad was bringing a bunch of extra calls and uh they they allowed us to take the calls in but they thought we were going to sell them so because they were still in packaging right so we we ended up having to pay a, a tax on that and so that was the only problem that we had run into oh we they they tore us apart we uh you know one year we got turned around and then uh the next year we had a video camera with us and they just they were sure that we were going to video something up there and not use a canadian uh, videographer and it i just i have vowed to not go back to canada there's good enough goose hunting Goose and duck yeah, here I, in, in the states. I know plenty of people that have had problems with uh, bringing camera equipment in there. And and you know we were just going to use it for you know just kind of our own personal stuff, but they were they were positive that right. we were you know we had ill intentions. Right. Now, Rod, have you have you ever guided, or you just hunted, uh, just hunted on your own and called, or have you ever guided for anyone? You know, I, I I've guided people on for di- different outfitters before we were we had our, our business um but you know since then i'm not really guided per se you know i've helped some guys out uh like i said this guy up, up in canada a friend of mine that that was getting started i'd go up there and he'd, he he would he would pay for food and 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 for me to have a place to stay up there and i could go up there and and hunt with him for two to three weeks at a time in exchange for that you know i was taking out his hunters so the the question i'm going to ask you is we've asked everybody on here that's ever guided have you ever 
removed a leg band without the client knowing about it? No. You are the first one then. <sighs> you broke the streak. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> we have had uh, quite a run of people on here. Scott trying and we've had a, we've had a bunch of, of big names on here and you're the first one so congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't have a prize or anything right send it to you. <laughs> you know it, it, I got I got a band story one that that for you though. I was hunting with some guys and you can tell when you know when you've you've been hunting long enough you can tell when you shoot a bird, are you are you're off when right. you pull the trigger? You know 100%. what I mean? Yep. And I am a hundred percent positive that I shot or got a piece of this bird. It was a banded spec, had a neck band on it also. Uh oh. However, I ended up turning it over to one of the guys in the blind that he said he thought he shot it too. Oh boy! And I didn't even say anything, but. The reason I did is because he happened to be the buyer for Cabela's. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so yeah. that that band wasn't worth that much money to me. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good call right there. You can have this one. Hey, <laughs> since we talked about Cabela's, are you all are concerned with the Cabela's Bass Pro conglomerate? You know, it's crazy right now with everything that's going on, and I don't want to speak out of place. Uh you know, there's so many changes uh, that are taking place right now. Um, we just got some some orders in today, matter of fact, and, and, and some processing some orders for that need to be shipped tomorrow. Everything, as far as I I was told, is supposed to be switching over, and we're going to start getting. As of August, we were supposed to be be getting nothing but orders from Bass Pro. And it and it runs even though we may ship to Cabela's, it's everything's run through Bass Pro. Huh. Well, I don't know what all's happening and I'm not sure they they know what all is gonna transpire yet, but the orders we got today were from Cabela's, not Bass Pro. So again, you know, it's if everything's changing so fast that that I'm not sure what what's going to happen. Yes, I am concerned, you know, because um, you know they're a huge part of our business. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure hoping somebody steps up and 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 comes out with another another store like that because we're going to get in the same thing in the outdoor industry that we're dealing with in groceries and shopping now. All the all the retail stores are shut down, and they're going to either go to an Amazon type deal, or you got one choice: you can go to Bass Pro now. And right. we need the competition in this country, but we need more. You know, we, we we need more competition. We need more places. Well, not only that, like what what bothers me about this whole deal is, uh, you know, you, you see these big box stores, and then they start coming out kind of like Walmart did. You know, Walmart has their own brand of cereal or whatever you know these big box stores like cabela's are coming out with their own brand of calls and their own brand of decoys and you know how long is it going to be before you know other people can't get a spot in these in these stores right it's concerning but you know it it, it really is and if you look at um 
you know, Amazon, you don't think about how big Amazon really is, but it is huge. It is. Um, yeah. You know, and and there's so many laws that you have to deal with as far as a manufacturer selling stuff that that you can't hold people back almost, even though it's stuff stuff is being done behind your back that um, is causing problems. For instance, I've got one distributor that sells to a lot of a lot of different sporting goods stores and, and stuff like that. However, they also sell to certain companies that also sell on Amazon. You can find a ton of my calls on Amazon. Oh wow! But trying, but trying, but even though we don't sell them direct, uh-huh. but yet it's affecting my business because they're selling them so cheap. Right. Sure. And it, and when you try to control the, the the that part of it, it's just it's so hard. It really is. So what do you? So, so what do you do in this instance? You're walking a really fine, fine line there, and and what what ends up happening? Yeah, we're selling a lot of a lot of product, or or a certain amount of product. I shouldn't say a lot, but we're selling a certain amount of product at a discounted rate that we're not making the profits on, and we're having to uh, absorb all of that expense because they're selling it sell them so cheap versus if I was selling them to Joe Blow Sporting Goods Store, I'd make a little bit more money. He would also make money. And so it's, it's there. we're going to have to find a way to, to fight this Amazon deal because it's, it's just really uh, tearing this country up. I just I just pulled, pulled them up just now, and every one of your calls is sitting right there on Amazon. Right. I, I did not oh, know yeah. they had game calls on there. I never even looked for them before on there. Yeah, they have everything. It's crazy. So unless I'm unless I'm willing to cut that distributor out, you know, it's going to curb some of it, but it's not going to curb all of it. Right. You know. Um, huh. You know, but like I said, I mean, we we try. I don't. What What's the cheapest price on a DR eighty five you see on there right now? Um, I think it was seventeen ninety five. Let me look back here. Okay. Uh, seven seventeen dollars and fourteen cents. See, they're they're running they're running that call way below what they should have. I mean, the DR eighty five should be a twenty two ninety five. Yeah, seventeen fourteen and free delivery to Knox City, Texas, to my house by August ninth. Right. And last year, I know I know I saw some on there for sixteen and some change. You know. Uh, like real low 16, you know, 16, 12 or something like that, you know. So even though we've curved it back a little bit, it's, we're still not handling it all. You know, last time I had looked, most of them were within reason, but 17 is way too cheap. Your double mallard, double read mallard, duck call 7576, the deceiver. Right. So that's just crazy. So, so, so you're giving it to a distributor and he's giving it to Amazon. Right. Wow. And and really, they don't care. I mean, if if they make a nickel on it, then they're they're fine with it. But you don't know you don't know who the guy is that's selling it to them. 
I can I can figure out. I know who's. I can see some of them that are selling that, but and I know the majority of it is, is coming from this one distributor. And because I'm I, not going to mention any names, right? Sure. I, I saw a, a deal on Amazon the other day where a guy was going into a store like a Best Buy, and he was going down their aisle where everything was on sale at. And he had a scanner, and he would scan the prices of everything he was looking at. And he was looking yeah. at some expensive stuff, hundred to five hundred dollar items. And he would scan right. it, and if it, he, if he could buy it for a hundred dollars, they were selling it on Amazon for hundred and thirty. He was buying every one of them they had. Yeah, and then he was selling right. them on it, and that's how he made a living. Yep, they say you can make six figures a year right now, garage selling, and spitting it on Amazon right now. Wow. Yep. And that's what he's doing. But anyways, that's 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 a tough deal. That's. That's the businesses like or Amazon and I'm an Amazon shopper, so I can't I, I can't really I'd be a hypocrite to bitch about them. But like I won't go to a Walmart because I think they're putting mom and pop stores out of business a lot. Well, of what places. about Amazon there, Judge? I'm I'm being hypocritical because I buy from Amazon a lot because it's so convenient where we live at. But but it's but we need to all step back a little bit, and realize what we're doing. I hear they make their uh, employees wear shock collars. Huh? Yeah. And if they can't get a product in so long, they get a they get a shock. <laughs> you know, you know, you know how many hours you have to work at Amazon a week to keep your job? How many? Eighty. What do they pay? I don't know. You got minimum eighty hours a week to keep your job. Eighty-five hours a week if you want a promotion. Ninety hours a week if you want to be in the top ten percent for a promotion. Wow! And you get shocked, huh? And you get shocked if you don't get this product in time. <laughs> they call them Amazon bots for a reason. I'd never heard that shit before, but I'm not. A, I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. I don't know how they get. I can't believe the liberals let a liberal company get by with that shit. That's shocking. So, Rod, you, you, do you blow in any calling contest anymore? I do not. I've, I've, I've. You know, I went through a period of time where, um, you know, I was. I when I got into calling, I was 13 years old. I saw these trophies Dad was bringing. Dad was bringing home, you know, week after week, and I told him, I said, Dad, I, I want to, I want to get me a trophy. You know, teach me how, teach me what I need to do to, to, to get in this. Well, Dad knew that I was, had just started learning how to play saxophone, so the only way he could correlate what I needed to do, even though Dad did not read music, he himself, even though he played saxophone clarinet he all he always played by ear he couldn't read a stitch of music but he drew out on a musical staff a representation of a routine that i needed to do and he told showed me what i needed to do um to get in these in these contests and when i was 13 years old um i earned a or back then you didn't have to earn a ticket but i i, I ended up blowing in a couple of contests and uh and, and won a couple and dad took me up there to blow at stuttgart in the junior world and you didn't have to have any uh contest wins back then to to enter and i ended up that year after blowing a, a call for three months uh i guess i was good enough and i got third third in the junior division that's amazing that's the only <laughs> that's the only title from from Stuttgart I ever got. I did blow uh, in 2002. I won state 
uh, here in here in Louisiana, just because a guy, a couple of guys I know were was, were blowing in it, and they wanted me to help them, and uh, they kept coming over every day wanting to practice, you know. And I said, no, I'm just going to enter it just for fun, the fun of it. I said, I'm not practicing. I'm just going to go up there and blow cold. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be darned if, and, and at that time, our state contest was held at the end of October. So I, I'll be darned if I didn't get up there and win the thing. <laughs> so then I started getting nervous. Yeah. Because I knew I was going to blow in the world. Yep. And then how do you prepare to blow in Stuttgart when you've, you hadn't been practicing all year. Uh-huh. You know, you just went up there and blew cold. Uh-huh. So I tried my best that I didn't want to, because I didn't want to build up my lungs anymore. I mean, the call was tuned perfect for me. Um, so I told myself, I'm going to blow one routine a day. That's it. If, if it's good or bad, I'm not going to practice. I don't want to build up my lungs, you know. So uh-huh. anyhow, I had like three weeks or something like that to, to the contest and only and I, I held to it I blew once a day and uh, anyhow I got up there the day of the contest and I guess I hit a wrong note during the day because I, I blew the day of the contest I blew a couple of I didn't blew a full routine but I hit those high you know on the high ball and I squawked it once uh oh and I let it get in my head uh huh so I stuck a new reed in there, lengthened it just a little bit to where I, I, I had to really crank down on the on the call to hit those high notes. Mm-hmm. And I, hopefully my intention was so I wouldn't squeal. Right. Well, I get up there, and on the first round, it's my turn to blow, and I get through my hail calls. I start in on my greeting calls, and about the third greeting call and about five notes down, the most oddest place for a call to squeak guess what happened i squeaked that call so i was i was shot out of there but anyhow um you know that that was the only other time that i got up on stage but yeah i I, i've got uh i think at one time i counted up our our trophies and collectively together as far as me and dad and and other two brothers go i think we had over 200 wins Jeez. Uh, and, and I think just me myself uh, I forget the exact figure but I want to say it was either the high 80s or, or maybe even to the 90s um, is what I had taken but I, I've just lost my interest I mean I went through a period of time in my youth to where I guess I was better than than average or my age group of, of people and and so i got to a point where i thought I, I was pretty cocky i thought i couldn't be beat you know and then when i started getting into some to the adult division and started getting my ass kicked a little bit you know <laughs> um you know for for a while there i did okay but then i couldn't i couldn't take losing i, I was i was a, a poor loser mm-hmm. you know and so I said, you know what? I've got the wrong attitude for this, and I, I just got out of it. And like I said, it wasn't until 2002 that I decided, hey, let's let's have some fun with this again. And I got back into it and uh, had a little bit of fun, another little round of fun with it. And uh, since then, I've just lost my my interest. And 
you know, there's calling contests nowadays. There are a ton of good callers. There, yes. really, yeah. there really are. And so I wouldn't stand a chance up there anymore. But um, like I said, there's, there's just a ton of good callers nowadays compared to what there used to be. So, so people are going to be listening to this, and they're going to they're going to want to know what makes a good contest routine in the in the duck world. Is it power? Is it flow? And and what do you what did you try to represent? You know, all calling contest in itself has changed now, but I can tell you from being behind the curtain as a judge. As a judge, you're sitting there listening to one guy blow a call, and then the next guy blow a call, and the next guy, and he, you, it gets uh, monotonous, if you will, right? after a period of time. Even though myself as a judge, I try to stay on top of it, and I want to judge and, and, and not give a bad score to a guy because I was sleeping or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm, I try to score as, as accurately as I can because I've also been on, on that their side of the curtain as well. Right. And so that being said, as a judge, if you've been around a contest any length of time, there's a certain group of guys that you know, oh, yeah, that's Billy calling. Oh, yeah, there's Larry. That's him. But you try to put that out of your mind and score, not let that affect your scores. You know what I mean? Right. That's tough. For yeah. me, for me as a judge, what there's little things that, that people do that when they're doing their warm-up, Caller number one, you know, two, whatever, you know, here's your warm up, you know, and they start, they start doing di- different things. If they, if that, that's a time for a judge to rest and, and, and collect his thoughts for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. because they're running these people quickly through there. But if there's something in their warm up that makes me scoot to the edge of my chair, yeah. that they do, that's. That's making me want to hear hear more, want to hear what they're doing. So even though a warm-up is not supposed to count in your score, right? it really does. Yeah. It can, it can give you that edge. And if, it meet, if that edge is just one point, that's all it takes. That's all. And especially in today's world, uh, we had Sean Mann on, and we were talking about kind of the scoring system that they have at the, at the World Goose. And, you know, Half a point will, will win you the title anymore with with the with the scoring system. Oh sure. Um, so that that's fascinating right there. Stick out in the warm up, kind of get something that might separate you a little bit. And like you said, you know you're not judging it, but if you're collecting your thoughts and then at the same time you hear that whatever it is, and you kind of think, oh, what do we got here? Kind of that could be the that could be the difference right there. Sure. No doubt. So, Rod, are you going to be at any hunting shows? This do you, do you still go to hunting shows and push product, and or go to any like uh, any of the big box stores to their set to, to their events? You know, we do uh, from time to time. We don't get out as much as we used to. Um, you know, it's just basically me and my brother now, um, and and he's he's got 
family and a little girl he's raising, so he doesn't get out as much. Uh, so, but yeah, we to answer your question, we do. Um, for instance, this weekend I'm going over to Max that's, Prairie Wings. They, they've got a big deal over there, and, and I'll be there Friday and Saturday. So. That, that's what I was getting at right there. So you'll be at Max at Fall Fest this weekend? Yes. So yes. people can come by and stop by and see you and get you to sign their call if they want? You bet. You bet. We also have some new calls out that this year that, you know, if the guy, any of the guys are interested, I've got a, uh, I've got a new, uh, and they're stocking the, the, these two calls. I've got a new snow, snow goose call out, and I'm really proud of a new uh, sandhill crane call we got. Oh, looky there. So um, they also stock our, you know, uh, uh, last year's new call, the speckle call that we have. Even though we, we, we have some acrylic versions and stuff like that, that they don't carry. These are the the poly calls, more economical calls that yeah. um, that we'll be featuring, and, and you can get the load out on and the scoop on them. So. The, cr- the crane hunting has yeah. really taken off. Fifteen years ago, you couldn't find a crane outfitter or a crane call of any type that I know of. Well, I was going to say you've got to be one of the one of I think I can only think of one other crane call on the market right now, other than yours. So you got to be you got to kind of have that market cornered. Well, you know, the, the crane calls, it, you know, we had one way, way back when in the, the, the late 90s, is, I think is the first crane call we had, uh, XLC87. And if you notice, most of our, here's something most people don't know, but most of our calls, uh, the last two digits of, of the model number is the year that we introduced them to the market. So huh. we actually had a call back in in 87 that was a crane call but over the years we've we usually have faded certain ones out and replaced them with something that we thought was better mm-hmm. and so that's kind of what we've done uh, along with this you know we, we came out with a new um, speckle belly call that happened to use the same uh, tone board that we're using now in the in this uh in this crane call and it's it's super super loud so anyhow i've crane hunted a couple of times i know what they sound like and and, and even though we can't shoot them here we got plenty plenty in south louisiana they just won't let us hunt them because we got the whooping crane around and every now and then somebody shoots a whooping crane but two weeks ago somebody shot one two weeks ago stupid oh yeah that's they're just being idiots out there so they stay there year-round? And, 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 and what's funny is is they always get caught. They oh, always yeah. get caught because game wars sit there and watch them. Yeah. Birds constantly. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so they I, they have their – them are the whooping cranes there year-round? Uh, a lot of them are, yes. Now, there's a place I saw in National Geographic. There's a place there – where they got cameras all over the refuge, I guess in Louisiana where they are, and they keep they got them named and numbered and everything. So what, oh, kind, yeah. what kind of jackass can shoot one of them? You got to know you're on camera all the time. I know it. I know it. It's stupid. It's stupid. That's about a two hundred thousand dollar fine and some jail time, isn't it? Uh, it's pretty hefty. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's it's pretty hefty. Yeah, this this old boy. Uh, I, I don't remember the guy's name, but he, uh, I want to say he was from uh, Ville Platte, Louisiana. Boy, I bet they're proud. <laughs> yeah. 
So wow. I want I want to go back to the calling contest for just a second. How long? Sure. How many routines do you hear, and you're just like, I've heard enough of that high balling to last me a lifetime. You know, I hate judging. I really do. Uh-huh. I, you know, if I'm needed, if I'm needed somewhere, I um, I go and do it. Um, but for the most part, I mean, that's how I sum up myself a caller that's fixing to come on stage and I'm I'm gonna have to judge him. I mean I I don't I don't penalize him for anything, but when he's doing his warm up I can almost say, okay, he's gonna be within this this range. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so you can't help but not do that. You know what I mean? Right. That, so that's why I said, you know, it's, it's so important that in your in your warm up, you know you're trying to warm up, but and, and and not get the feel of the call so you don't squeal it. But don't do something stupid up there that's going to take away. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you you need to make sure it's short, it's precise, and if there's anything that you really want the judges to key in on, what you're fixing to do. Give them, give them a little appetizer of it. You know what I mean, right? And, and so that's that's just <laughs> that's just how I am. So, so do you start um, whenever you're judging? Um, you said you don't. How do you come up with a score? Do you start at the maximum and then kind of deduct points as you go, or how how does that work? Or like you said, do you hear it in the warm up and you're kind of be like, okay, he's a 74 to 75 kind of guy there's a there's a baseline that that i kind of go off of and and so if 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 the first caller gets up there and he does an average routine mm-hmm. i've got a baseline to go off of and so I judged it, and, and I try to remember that first caller's position and what his score is, and then everybody else is either below him or above him or the same. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Unless they squeal a call or if they do something extra special, then I'll I'll, I'll give them a, a, a little higher higher score. But everything, the way I score. And I feel that's the that's the best way sometimes, but at least I'm consistent. You right. know what I mean? Right. And so I may be I may be the judge that they kick out every dang time because I set a baseline too low. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 but but at least I'm consistent. I feel within myself of scoring. You know what I mean? Right. So so is that first call so is that first caller kind of doomed or or not really if he Oh no out? no no not at all not at all I mean if he if if that first caller gets up there and he does exceptionally well well then then my base my baseline has to say say he scores a um, you know a 79 Right then obviously my baseline needs to be about 75 Yeah so, 
everybody else better be, you know, I, I can judge everybody else based off of how he called because most of them aren't going to be that 79. Right. Level. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. So you can so you can give that guy an honest score and then be like, well, this guy, you know, he just he's four sure. points below that first caller. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you now. And judging is hard sometimes. I, oh, I gotta yeah. be honest. I mean, you know, uh, so many guys sound sound the same nowadays, or a lot of them do. And and um, you know, if there's something special you can do to stick out. That's where that's where you, in in my eyes, you you gain your your extra points there, you know. That's right. And, and hoping to, hoping you don't squeal. All right, Rod. So this weekend, people can come down to Stuttgart and check you out at Fall Fest, and you'll have a y'all have a booth set up there. I'll probably be in the the little call center there. I don't, I'm not going to have a, a booth set up outside or anything, but usually they have. Uh, they probably have seven eight guys in the in the call center there at the call counter and um hanging out at any given time so i'll be around okay i'm telling everybody right now you go down to max prairie wings this weekend at fall fest and you can see rod haydale and check out the new haydale calls and get one of them sandhill crane calls also go by and see john adams at natural gear they're going to be down there also and rod we appreciate you we we know we've taken up a lot of your time appreciate you being on here with us you bet Glad to do it. It's it's fun. It's it's been a while since uh, since I've seen seen you around. You used to come to this show here in town, and we had in Shreveport a little bit. Yes, I did. It's been it's been a long. We hadn't been to Shreveport in about ten years. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while. We do a lot of business they really, in Louisiana. They really used to have a good good show here. I, I kind of miss that really, but uh, I, you know, they, there's so many shows nowadays. They're just not getting the attendance that they used to. So, yeah, we, we've got our kind of – we've kind of pared it down to just Texas Trophy Hunters this weekend in, in Fort Worth. And I tell you what, from its heyday to now, it's just – it's sad. Uh, the level – like you said, the level of in, of attendance there. It's just – it's right. way down. Right. Internet is changing everything. Heck, people don't even come visit about hunting's, hunts no more. They buy them off text, emails. I know. It's crazy, ain't it? Yeah, I sell I, – I bet 50% of the hunts I sell, I don't ever talk to a person anymore. Really? It's a text or an email. That's it. Now, most wow. of them are clients that we have every year. I'll have a new guy. had a guy the other day that texted me back and forth, and he said, hey, before I book this, I want to talk to you. And he called. We talked, and we visited for about 30 minutes. And that's the way I'm a visitor. I'd rather talk on the phone than text, too. So, But that's getting to be the way of the world. But we yep. have, we appreciate you being on here. Uh, look forward Glad to you it. Hey, give you, give everybody your, uh, how to get a hold of you. Um, you. You can find me on the on the Internet. I've, I'm obviously on facebook all the time uh, uh, dot com. that's h-a-y-d-e-l-s uh, and it's got all of our information on there if you want a phone number and whatnot no use giving it to you right now because you you'll forget it but that's right com is the best way perfect well rod uh once again thank you for for setting this time aside to talk to us and we hope that you have a fantastic weekend at max and hopefully you shoot some mallards this upcoming season in louisiana i hope so i hope so and you too hey thank you very much <laughs> hey i'm gonna come i need to come hunt with you i want to kill some cranes ho- holler at me this deal i've got a guy we can fix you up with we, we've right, got a guy good. we're gonna be running hunts out of big spring texas this year so we can sure take care of you on some cranes 
Good deal. Perfect. Hey, thank you, and have a good Take weekend. Care, guys. Huh? God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Rod Haydell with Haydell's Game Calls. I knew his dad, Eli, a long time. Good guys, good family. He always uh, wore that hat, didn't he? Yep. At the hunting shows? Mm-hmm. Good, good, good guy. Look, just that's, what the, that's what's so good about waterfowl business. It's a lot of family businesses like that. Yeah. Guys living their dream. That's Rod, all you can do. Rod's probably like me. He hasn't had a real job in a long, long, long time. No, probably not. Living the dream. Living, living the dream. Living the dream. Anyway, y'all go down to Max Prairie Wings this week to Fall Fest. If Check you're in the area. If, yeah, well, if, if, you're if you live in Maine. Yeah, you might skip out just, on it. Just uh, email Rod and he'll send you a call. Yeah. Save go, the trip. I down. don't know, though. I'm kind of jealous. You want to go to Max this weekend? Uh, it'd probably be better than Trophy Hunters. You go have fun. You don't think so? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to drive all the way to Stuttgart, Arkansas. It's three hours further than... What the hell how, have you how been much to Stuttgart, further? Arkansas for? I would say probably at least five hours. That's what I was going to say. But you said three instead, huh? Well, was, I was I was every I was on, <laughs> every show. I was planning on leaving oh. early. Oh, that's what. Every episode, you find a way to say something that's completely off, whether we're talking about country music or driving. You know, I'm still getting fan mail in my corner of George Strait. Andy hasn't had any fan mail since we've started this. <laughs> you're so you're so full of shit. <laughs> Anyways, go down to Max, see Rod Haydell, pe- check out some calls. Go buy Natural Gear, see John. Tell him we sent you there. Uh, you got anything else to talk about today? No, we'll be at uh, be at Texas, Texas Trophy, Trophy Hunters this yes. weekend. This weekend, August tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. Yep, come by and see us. Uh, we're doing pot, we'll have a podcast booth and a booth for Stanfield Hanging Outfitters. Phone's really starting to ring, so if you've got certain dates that you want, you better holler at me pretty quick on waterfowl hunting. When are the t-shirts going to be here? Tomorrow. I'm picking, I just got a text from the guy just now. I can actually pick them up tomorrow. Okay. But I probably won't pick them up until Thursday. It depends what time we get back from Fort So Worth we'll tomorrow. have a big honker. Everybody that's messaged us uh, wanting a shirt, we will get those out to you as soon as we get them. And then if you're just now listening and you want a big honker podcast t-shirt, uh, we'll have them. Yes, we'll have them up, and we'll have price and all that stuff listed when we pick them up. Cool. Well, that's all I got. Everybody uh, have a good one. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, come see us. Yep. Thank you. God bless you, and have a safe day.